Good morning. It is a joy to be with you guys. My name is Vince, um, and I am uh, living up in Spanish Fork, Utah, and uh, haven't actually met Cody yet, um, but I'm connected with a church that he's connected with, and uh, yeah, we're up in Spanish Fork seeking to plant a church, and uh, we're tied to this network called Plant Utah um, that Cody's a part of, and so um, I get the privilege of being here today with you guys this morning. My family came down with me uh, as well to St. George this week, and we thought, you know what, let's go down, let's make a trip out of this, let's see St. George and have some fun. And then my family, our kids, got sick. We had a kid uh, get a bloody nose, we had a kid um, pass out this morning, that was fun. Um, I mean, it just... It's been, it's been a weekend, and uh, sometimes you have these ideas of what things are going to look like, and, and you make plans, and then things just go sideways, and I have to confess that uh, I didn't always handle those, like, things as well as I should have, and so this message today is as much for me as it is for you, uh, because there's so many times when I fall so short of, of handling things like I should, of having the wrong attitude in the midst of what God is doing. Um, I lack faith to trust that God is in control, that even when things don't go like I want them to do, that God is still good, that he's still faithful. And so today, this is as much for me as it is for you. Um, but I'm excited to share with you from God's word because it is living and active and powerful and it works in our lives. Um, let me just pray before we dive into it. Father, we just come before you. We thank you that in the midst of the joys, the trials, uh, the challenges, the celebrations, Lord, that you are faithful, that you are constant, that in the midst of our own brokenness and our, our best pursuit of you, Lord, that you remain faithful, that your loving presence continues to draw us to yourself, Lord, I pray this morning that as we enter into your word, Lord, that, that you would make yourself known. I pray that my words would fall flat, Lord, and they would fade away. I pray that your words would linger and bring forth life to our souls. Father, we pray that you would be glorified this morning as you stir in our hearts a deeper hunger and love for you as you stir in our mind deeper and more magnificent thoughts about who you are. We ask your blessing over our time. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, how many of you guys are golfers? Do we have any golfers here? No? Okay. Okay. A couple. Okay. So the people that raise their hand, they are golfers. It's in their DNA. Um, now, I am not a golfer. Um, but I like people, and there's a lot of people that like to go golfing. And, you know, in my mind, you think that when you go golfing, oh, let me go hang out with some people, and we'll golf, and we'll be able to chat and uh, bond and hang out, and you think it's going to be this fun thing. But the problem for me is I'm not a golfer. And, and when I line up to hit, the ball seems to go 
anywhere. And I basically spend the whole day yelling the words for and chasing my ball. And everybody else is working down the fairway and I'm like zigzagging across the course. And so I don't actually get to hang out with people when I golf. I just basically am a golden retriever trying to fetch my golf ball. And by the time it's done, like I just end up wanting just to resort to just throwing my golf ball. Like I would fare better just throwing my golf ball than trying to hit it. And, and, and like I want to improve as a golfer. Like I want to become a better golfer because I want to be able to like keep up with others and not be that guy who's like, where'd Vince go? Oh my goodness. And holding everybody up on the golf course. But in order for me to become a better golfer, something has to happen. See, I by nature grew up playing baseball. And so I swing like a baseball player. And apparently that doesn't work in golf. Uh, and so before I can improve my golf game, I have to become a golfer. That means I have to start thinking like a golfer, right? I can't do the happy Gilmore swing and try to club it away. I, I have to just change how I think about the sport. I have to change how I approach my swing. I don't even know how that, to do that yet. But I have to change my swing entirely. I have to change, in a sense, my approach. That if I want to become a better golfer, I have to change my identity. I have to become a golfer. I have to change my mindset and how I think about swinging. And then I have to change my approach. And how do I hit this? And I think sometimes this is a good representation of where we are in life. That, that sometimes in life, we just want to improve. That, man, this weekend, I wanted to be such a better father than I was. I wanted to be more patient, more gentle than I actually was. Like, we go through life and we, and we, and we see these imperfections in ourselves, ways that we don't measure up to situations, and we so desperately want to improve. We want to handle things better. We want to be better. We want to more reflect Christ as who he is. And yet we fall short. And in this sense, we, we have to come to it with this new identity. Uh, we we got to come in a different way. Otherwise, we keep getting the same and same results. We're going to see in our passage how Jesus not only saves us, but he gives us the means to change. He gives us a means to actually become more like him. Jesus enters in and changes us. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And we're going to see how our relationship with Jesus gives us this new, fresh, and satisfying life. We're going to see the author and almost lay out this pattern for life change. Uh, we're going to see him lay out this, this first, we have to have this new life, this new identity. We need to be made new. And then secondly, he's going to call us to this new mindset that we've got to change our thinking and how we think about ourselves and how we think about the world. And then lastly, we're going to see the author unpack that we have to change our approach. We need a new approach. That if we want to grow, if we want to become more like Jesus... I see that we need a new life, a new mindset, and a new approach. 
So we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. And Paul is answering these couple of questions. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And his response both times is by no means. Absolutely not. And he's unpacking this because of grace, we should still respond and live for Jesus. That basically, there's this like argument that doesn't even matter since we're under grace. Since grace is increased when we sin, shouldn't we just go on sinning more so God's grace can be more? If grace is such a good thing, why not just keep sinning? Uh, does it really matter? And Paul's response is absolutely. And we're going to see how he flushes this out. We're going to see this new life that he calls us to. That those who are in Jesus are given a new life. Read with me in verse 2. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we see this this idea that our sinful nature leads to death. That our sinful nature, our old nature, leads to death, which in its sense is separation from God. As human beings who are made in the image of God, Death is not the end of existence. It's the separation. It's separation from God. It's separation from the world. It's separation from others. When he, God tells Adam and Eve, if you eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. What he's not saying is that you'll, you'll come to the end of existence, but there will be separation, separation from me, separation from creation, that someday you will physically die, uh, that there's separation that happens. And our sin, it separates us from God, from the people around us, from ourselves. When we sin, we start to tell lies and believe untrue things about ourselves. Like sin separates us. And so sin is this, or death is this picture of separation that's important here in this passage. And, and he goes on and he gives this picture that those who are in Jesus are given a new life by grace through faith. And he talks about this, do you not know in verse 3 that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And to be baptized in Jesus is a picture of our identification with Jesus. See, Jesus has died for our sins. He was buried to show that he truly died. And then he rose again to show that he has power over sin and death. This means to trust in Jesus alone means that your life is in him and his life is in you. That if you've put your life in Jesus, your life is in him and his life is in you. That in this very real sense, Jesus took your life, took my life, took our sin upon himself and gave to us his life, his righteousness. 
It's this transaction that now we're identified with Jesus. That what was his, his righteousness becomes ours and our sin becomes his. He died and rose again to show that he has the power to do away with sin and death. And the author here, Paul, is, he's describing in the sense of this spiritual baptism. He's not talking specifically about water baptism here and the act, the ritual of being baptized as a new believer, but he's, he's using this picture of baptism about our identification with Jesus. That when we're baptized, we're identified with Jesus And it's this picture of this initiation into the Christian life. That's why when you're you're baptized, it's this process of being initiated into being a Christian. This practice of water baptism is a picture of this spiritual reality. That the act of water baptism doesn't save, but it's this, this outward symbol of an inward reality. That when you're baptized, it's this this visible demonstration, this outward symbol of what is inwardly going on. That you've died to your sin and been raised again to newness with Jesus. You've been given a new life. I like to talk about baptism as like a it's like a wedding ring, right? You know, putting it on doesn't make you married. You know, just because somebody wears a wedding ring doesn't make them married. But it's the symbol that I am. And I belong to someone else. That's baptism. It's like putting on the wedding. It's, it's this initiation, this wedding day celebration saying, I belong to Jesus and his righteousness is mine. So we get this new life. And this new life is, we're given both the promise of salvation and sanctification. Uh, two big words that I'll unpack. This new life that I want you to see, it's not just, it's not just some future hope. It's not just this hope that someday we'll be saved. It's this present, present hope that currently we are saved and we are being saved. It's verse four, that we too might walk. It's this present active process that we're walking in this new life. This is ours now for those who are in Jesus See, salvation is the deliverance from sin and death and Satan. But sanctification, it's this big word that basically means the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That is, as we've been saved from sin and death, that God is now currently at work in the process of helping us to practically become more and more like Jesus. We've been raised to life to walk with Jesus. Sanctification, it doesn't happen just automatically, right? It's this this process that while we've been positionally declared righteous, like if you've put your faith in Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the very righteousness of Jesus. (laughs) That despite me being as messed up and broken and sinful as I am, when God looks at me, he declares me and sees me as righteous, And practically, I'm not righteous, but yet God is in the process of helping me become more and more like Jesus. He is growing in me. And this is the process of being a Christian. We're being changed. We're growing to become more and more like Jesus. 
This is one of my my favorite things about getting to live in community with other believers and why I love your guys' church name. Like community. As we're living in community with one another, we get to see, we get to celebrate God's gracious and life-changing work in us and those around us. We get to walk together in this newness of life, seeing and celebrating the ways that God is drawing us out of darkness and into his light, the way God is shaping us to help us become more like him. So we see that we have a new life, that those who are in Christ are given this new life. But then Paul calls us to this new mindset. Verse 5. He kind of goes through and, and gives gives the explanation before he gives the, the charge in verse 11. So we'll skip down to verse 11 and read the charge, and then we're going to come back up to verse 5. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we've got to, believers believe who God made them. That we've got to consider, we've got to think of ourselves as God has already made us. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as believers, we're to believe who God has already made us. We're called to believe who God has made us to be in Jesus. This idea of considering yourselves, it's it's not just understanding it, but it's about believing it to be true. That we believe it. It's not just about knowing it, but it's about actually buying it. Do you actually buy, do you actually believe that Jesus has delivered you from sin and raised you up to new life with him. It's this continual process, this considering. We believe who God has made us to be. And here's the beauty of this, is that we don't do anything that God hasn't already done for us. There's nothing that we add to this. There's nothing that we're called to do that God hasn't already done for us. We simply walk in what he has called us into. So this is why we have to go back to the gospel of grace to remind us of who we are. Like before Paul even tells them how to live, before Paul even tells them this new mindset, he's, he's reminding them of what he has already done. He's reminding them of what God has done in Jesus. Three times he says, for if we have been united, and, and if means like if, If we have, and we certainly have, if we have been united with him, then we will certainly be united with him. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin. And he's giving this this explanation. For this reason, 
And he's calling them to see the gospel. Three times he says the word know and believe. He's calling them to know and to believe the gospel, to believe what God has already accomplished for them in Jesus. See, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has accomplished for us a full salvation. It means that we're not only saved from something, but we're saved to something. Jesus has saved us from both the penalty and the power of sin. Like he saved us from, from the penalty of sin that we face. Because of our sin, we, we've faced separation from God, but God's, through Jesus, saved us from the penalty of sin. As we see here, he saved us from the power of sin, that it no longer has dominion over us because we are identified with Jesus and his life is ours. We still have to wrestle with the presence of sin, right? We, we've been saved from the penalty and the power of sin, but we still wrestle with the presence of sin. That I, I still wrestle with sin in my life that I have to continue to surrender to Jesus, to continue to pursue after Jesus, to fix my eyes on him. We see that Jesus, in verse 8, not only saved us from sin, but now he's saved us to something. Now, if we have also died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That Jesus has saved us, not only from sin, but he saved us into a fully restored and living relationship with God. Jesus died once and for all as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. It means if we're in Jesus, death and separation from God is no more. We're fully restored to God. This passage is, is unpacking this, this why we should obey God. And it's because of God's grace. God's grace prompts us and should prompt us to live for him, to pursue him as objects of grace, it should change us and mold us and shape us, to motivate us, to draw near to God. So we see this, this new approach that we're giving. He transitions and unpacks this new approach that we live towards becoming who we are in Christ. And once we have that new life, once we have that new mindset, now we have a new approach that we begin living towards becoming who we are in Jesus. He unpacks in verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. See, the old approach, he unpacks in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Submit to Jesus. Submit to following him. For when you were slaves of sin, verse 20, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
It didn't matter what you did when you were slaves to sin. You couldn't do anything to fix your relationship with God. You couldn't do anything to make things right. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things from which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the old approach was following sin, was living under the rule of sin, which led to shame and death. That we used to be slaves to sin and unable to make things right with God. It led to more and more lawlessness, more chaos, more pain, more hurt, more shame, more separation, more death. But the old way is dead to us. That's dead to us. I mean, if you were to say to somebody like, I wish you were dead to me. <laughs> That's like this idea of separation. It's this severe, like you're done with them. This is sin is dead to us. We're done with it. We've been made new. It no longer holds power over us. The reality is the only power that sin can have over us is yielded power. It's the power which we give sin. It has no power over us unless we surrender that power to sin. Imagine with me uh, this cruel, abusive, and mean husband who's just oppressive in every way to his wife, just demanding and brutal and beats her and is just ruthless. Now imagine this husband, this wicked husband, were to die. This woman would be set free from her husband. But imagine with me this wife continuing to to set food on the table for her dead, abusive husband. To continue to live her life in fear of, of how her husband might respond, even though he's dead. To continue to try to please her dead husband. Like, we would be looking at that and be like, you're free. You're free. You no longer are living under the rule of your abusive tyrant husband. And it's this picture that when we submit to sin and let it reign in our bodies, that as we're letting it have that destruction, that power over us, we've been freed from it. The power of sin is dead to us. We are free to live our lives not under the rule and tyranny of sin, but under the good and righteous reign of King Jesus. We've been set free. Sin is dead to us. We're free to live for him. We're free to follow him. So now we follow King Jesus. And what's the fruit of that? What comes of following Jesus Well, it's righteousness, it's sanctification, it's eternal life. Verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, and this is where he's saying in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because we're not actually literal slaves of Jesus, but we're voluntarily now free to live under the righteous and good reign of King Jesus. We should submit to him and serve him. But the 
fruit of that is righteousness, this right standing with God, it's sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, and in its end, eternal life. The outcome of following Jesus is, is one we're declared righteous. That when God looks at us, he says, Vince, you're righteous. When I look at Vince, I see the righteousness of Jesus. Not only that, but practically, he's at work helping me and growing me and helping me become more and more like Jesus. And in his end, I get an eternal life, this perfect and forever relationship with God. I want you to see that the power to live for God instead of sin is ours by grace. Verse 14, look with me. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. It's because of grace that we've been set free to live for King Jesus. It's not by our works. It's not by our effort. It's not by trying to be a better person that we can improve our life, but it's by the grace of Jesus as we submit to him, as we live under his righteous and good rule and reign in our lives we become to be changed, not by our effort, but by the gracious work of God. So we live out of a grace-initiated and a grace-sustained relationship with God. And in that, we experience freedom. We're free from the tyranny of sin. We don't change by trying to be a better person or trying to earn God's approval. We've got we to gotta focus on what God has already done and live out of response of his grace. It changes. We live under true grace, trusting and obeying Jesus, our Savior and King. So we follow Jesus by becoming who we already are in Jesus. We present our lives to God. Verse 13, don't present your members to sin, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So we present ourselves to God. We submit to him. We live under his good reign. Live for him to become who he has already made us in Jesus to be. We've been made righteous and standing before God. And so we present ourselves to live that way, to live as who he has declared us to be. See, an instrument for righteousness, it means this is a life of obedience that marks someone who has been made right with God. That is a life of pursuing God. An instrument for righteousness, it's the outflowing of a life lived in relationship with Christ. As we live in that relationship, as we draw near to him, as we live as people who have been saved to walk with Jesus, we begin to be changed. It's this right living that's in line with God and his work and Jesus on our behalf. So we seek to present all of ourselves, all of our members. We, we take our eyes and we submit to God what we look at. We seek to honor God with what we look at, our ears, what we listen to, uh, our mouths, what we say, our minds, what we think about, our will, the decisions we make our hearts, our motivations. Why, why are we doing these things? And we, we lay those things at the feet of Jesus. Say, God, help me. Strengthen me. Help me to walk with you. 
we trust that God is more good, more satisfying, more thrilling, more pleasing than anything this world has to offer. We submit to him. We trust that God is good, that God is gracious, that God is great, that God is glorious. So this gospel provides the fuel in helping us move towards becoming who we are. So Paul's response to these questions, uh, does it matter how we live, is an Yes, absolutely. He says, by no means should we just go on living as if what God didn't do wasn't real. And in the midst of his unpacking what he does, in verse 17, he breaks out as he's displaying the gospel and what God has done. He breaks out in this this moment of just praise. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. In the sense, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sins have become committed wholeheartedly to Jesus and the gospel. That God has delivered us from death into life with him and now we're wholeheartedly in pursuit of King Jesus. We're new people committed to following after him. And the gospel is our fuel that motivates us, that encourages us, that gives life to our souls as we seek to becoming who we already are in Jesus. Gospel is foundational. See, a disciple or a believer, they never graduate from the gospel. It's why communion is is such a sacred and special time for us to remember, to celebrate, to proclaim what God has already done for us. In a little bit, we're going to take communion. As we take communion, we're remembering that because of Jesus, we've died to sin. We've been made alive with God. We take communion, we proclaim the life that we have and we seek his grace to become more and more who he has already made us to be. We seek to center our lives around his completed work on the cross. So as we transition to communion as as we close, I want to encourage you and remind you that if you have put your faith in Jesus, you already have a new life that is in Jesus. I want to continually consider you to have the right mindset to believe who God has already made you to be. To change your approach to to continue to live in a wholehearted pursuit of becoming who you are in Jesus. That if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, and I hope that you know that is a new life, free by the grace of Jesus, It'll absolutely wreck your life in a beautiful way. It'll transform and change your life. It'll give you freedom that you've never experienced before. It doesn't just save you from sin and death, but he saves you into an intimate, life-changing relationship with him. And we all walk diligently in the newness of life that is ours in Jesus.